Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Happy that you have a chance to spend part of your busy afternoon with me. It's another lovely summer day in Chico. I always think about the weather when I'm doing the business buzz because we definitely have seasons here in Chico. It makes it part of what makes it a nice place to live. I'm thinking about all of the new constructions in Chico, all the new apartments. So as far as the construction business, it looks like it's doing great. The big deal these days is the fact that mortgage interest and interest in general is going up. If that happens, a lot of times there'll be price changes, price reductions. Uh, then the, when there's price increases in the supply chain, like lumber and things that get more expensive, I'm not sure if lumber's at the top. I think it's come down a little. But the main thing is there's a lot of uncertainty when you're working on large projects. So unless you have everything locked in and what they what they call hedged, uh, you need to be hedged if you're doing these kind of deals, these long-term, any kind of long-term deal, you need to be hedged. And if uh, if you don't understand what hedging is, the easiest example I can bring up to make it make sense would be this. You are a farmer. You have your planting season coming up, you have all the gas you need to run your tractors, you have all the seeds and fertilizer and pesticides, you've got all the supplies. Your concern is, after I've spent, and I've already spent the money, so I have everything in place, after I plant this crop, what if the price, right now I've got it planned because corn is $5 a bushel. I will make money if I do this season and I harvest so many bushels, like I figure, I will make money at $5 per bushel. Here's the problem. He's not going to be selling this crop until six months later. And he's thinking, what if the price per bushel is only two fifty by the time I take this to market? Now, there's also the issue where he could be selling his crop in advance to someone for five dollars, but we won't. We're not going to go that far into this thing. I'm just trying to explain exactly what a hedge means. What he would do is he would let's say he's going to be harvesting he plans on harvesting 10,000 bushels of corn he would go to the futures market and that's why the futures market is designed for this originally and I'll talk about what the futures market has become it was designed originally exactly for this purpose the farmer would sell I'll just call it December corn I don't know what month all these things come up but I know December corn is one of the contracts so it's April or May. Well, let's just say it's July. So he would he would sell enough. Let's say the contracts are 5,000 bushels each. He would sell December corn at the current price of $5.
So here's the way that works. He's hedging. He's not speculating. He's not a gambler like Wall Street. He's hedging. We'll talk about two scenarios. In the case of if corn stays at $5, at the end of this deal, he has the equivalent of the number of bushels at $5. So uh, the cost of having those contracts would be he would have to put money up for what's called a margin. My point is, is that if everything goes that way, it's just a straight across deal. He sells his corn for $5. He closes out his December contract at $5. So he doesn't make a profit or loss. It just zeroes out. That would be the case if corn did not change price. Here's the issue. He's worried about corn being worth 250 in December when he does the hedge in July at the $5 futures price. Let's pretend that December comes, he's got his harvest, he's doing his harvesting, but the price on December corn is now 250. Here's the way it works. He sells his 10,000 bushels for 250 apiece, so that's $25,000 he gets for his crop, half of what he was hoping for. But here's the kicker. The hedge that he did gave him the difference between $5 when he started and when he sold it at 5 and now he's purchasing back the futures contract at 250 So even though he only sold his corn for $25,000, he has a $25,000 profit on his hedged futures contracts that he sold, that he went short, is what they call it, he shorted in July. Now what happened? Well, he made 25000 selling his crop, and he sold his, uh, he made 25000 profit on his futures contract. The difference between the $5 that he shorted and the two fifty that he has to basically buy it back at. So that works out great. The one downside to hedging like that is this. Let's say there's a drought, and his crop is fine. He makes his 10,000 bushels. But let's say a drought hits the other part of the corn belt, and the price of corn goes up to $8 a bushel by December. Here's the problem. If he hadn't have done any hedging, he would have gotten lucky, and in December he would be selling his 10,000 bushels for $80,000 instead of the 50 that he was kind of shooting for. So here's the way that works. December corn goes up to $8. He sells his 10,000 bushels that he grew for $80,000. The problem is his futures contract that he went short at $5, he lost $3 per bushel, so he lost 30,000 in his futures account. So the the bottom line on this is that by hedging, you lock in that price and you're good with it. He told himself back in July, he said, I'm fine. If I can sell these bushels I'm going to grow for $5, I'm fine. And that's what he got. So no matter what the price of corn is at harvest time, he makes the $50,000 on his 10,000 bushels. The downside is if the price of corn goes up, 
and he doesn't jump out of that position, then he lost out on that extra 30000 The upside is he guaranteed to get the $5 a bushel, and he does not have to really sell for two fifty. And I explained that part in the first part of the problem. Bottom line is hedging is how the world goes around when you have long time frames and planning your business numbers. The other side of hedging would be purchasing. And the best example of that, I'm the uh, chief financial officer of Southwest Airlines. And I I think gas prices are going through the roof. Oh, oh, I I was right. So let's say it's right now, and let's say jet fuel is, I don't know what it is. It's probably like 10 bucks a gallon. So let's say jet fuel is $10 a gallon right now, but I have to lock in a purchase of a million gallons of fuel because we have to have these flights for the next three months or whatever. If I think the price of jet fuel is going up, I will buy, I will go long a, a, a fuel futures contract at $10 right now. And the same thing will happen to me as it happened to the farmer, but in reverse. If the price of fuel does go up, I'll be paying, let's say it goes up to $14. I'll be paying $14 while the price is high, but my futures contract that I went long at $10, for every gallon of gas I have to pay $14, I've made $4 profit on my futures hedge contract because I went long at 10 and I'm buying at 14. So I'm making $4 a gallon in my futures contract, which means I pay 14 for the gallon. I made four in my futures account. So I'm still only paying 10. That's how a hedge works in reverse. That's like a purchaser's planning hedge. Of course, the downside to that one is, let's say I was wrong, which I I wouldn't be, and let's say gas, the jet fuel went down to $6 a gallon. Well, then I'd be paying the $6 a gallon this season and, and making money hand over fist, obviously, but my futures contract, when I went long at 10, I lose $4 a gallon when it goes to six. So I'm still paying 10 a gallon, and if my business plan and my ticket sales were all there, I knew I could make a profit at $10 a gallon, so I'm happy either way. That's how hedging works. So I just gave you a quick lesson in hedging for corn, jet fuel, and any other commodity that someone might need to uh, get. They need to sell or buy in the future, but they can't take a chance on prices moving around too much. So that's called hedging. I hope that wasn't boring. I hope it was entertaining. Well, I don't think it was that entertaining. I hope it was educational. It took me a while to wrap all that around my head, but that's how it works. So whenever you hear about these people called hedge funds, if you were truly a hedge fund, you would never lose money because you would be hedging here, hedging there. The ups wouldn't hurt you. The downs wouldn't hurt you. You'd try to be like a casino and you would try to just make a percentage of all the bets. In fact, the, the casino is one of the best profit generators I could think of. That's why, number one, it's very hard to get a license to have one uh, other than in Nevada and Atlantic City and uh, riverboats on the Mississippi. You can't even have a casino unless you're an Indian tribe that's qualified, uh, American Indian. Uh, 
Native American, I should say. I want to be a little more PC on that. Native American. But I think after the break, I'm going to get into how a casino makes money on sports bets. Because I was explaining it to my son and he didn't quite figure out what I was talking about. But once I explained it, it sort of made sense. Because I always thought if I could get into the some kind of casino business, you could always make money. The problem is that's a business that's, number one, highly regulated. And number two, highly crooked, I would say. If, if any of the Hollywood movies of the last 50 years are anything close to what a real casino is like, then it's not a business I would want to be in. I'm not that, I'm not that kind of guy. It's an interesting business, though, and I think it's really fascinating the way they do the sports betting. So I'll talk about that in a little while. Oh, I've also got something to say in the next segment about the state of California. They are, I don't know how to describe this without giving it away. I'll just tell you that they are starting to, they're starting to take the place of some of the feds, and that's all I'll say right at the moment about it. It's interesting. I've been doing taxes in California for 40 years, and I'm seeing things this year that I've never seen before. And it's just a sign of the times, and it has to do with the new tax law that the federal got into in 2018. Uh, the changes on that tax law, federal, did not get, a, I can't remember the word they used, but it didn't get agreed to by California. And that's why California is now taking over some of the federal guy's business, and it's just sort of interesting. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll be right back after the break. Bob the Drop here. The other day I had a close encounter with my friends from Mars. I visited them a few years back and they discovered the great taste of Mount Shasta spring water. Well, I guess they ran out, so they came back to Earth to get some more. I reminded them it comes from a protected spring at the base of Mount Shasta and it's bottled at the source. I guess they just didn't get the part about us delivering right to your door. Have your own close encounter by calling 1-800-922-6227 to get some of the best tasting water in the galaxy. Pure and simple, naturally the best. Mount Shasta spring water. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, on a lovely Chico summer day. A little too hot for my liking, but that's part of living in Chico. It's been hot for a long time. But it's just, it's nice to have a summertime. I like it a lot better than winter. So I promised you that in this little segment, I would talk about how casinos make money on sports betting. So the problem you could see with a casino is if you just had a straight betting thing up and down, of course, they've got a lot of new types of bets that I'm not even familiar with because I really don't gamble much at all. 
But the basic bet is the one that I can describe best because it's the one I'm the most familiar with and it's been around a long time. If you look at a football bet, here's the way it goes. Let's say the Super Bowl's coming up and let's say in my, uh, in my dreams it's the 49ers versus the Raiders. And the casino is taking bets. So you figure, whoa, if they, if they take too many 49er bets and the 49ers win... Uh, they're going to lose money. That would be your initial thought. But here's the way it works. If you've heard of a thing called the point spread, as the bets go, the point spread makes one of the teams a favorite. And in order to win, if you bet on the favorite, you have to win the game minus that amount of points, which is the point spread. So let's just say there's a real lopsided season this year and the Raiders are not that good and they lucked out on their way into the Super Bowl, and then their quarterback got injured, and now they're a big underdog. So in other words, let's say for every 10 bettors betting on the Super Bowl this year, nine of them are betting on the 49ers, and one's betting on the Raiders. So the way that works is the casino adjusts the point spread to even out the number of Raider bets versus 49er bets. So in this case... With all these 49er bets, they have to immediately start offering points to get people to bet for the Raiders. So they would, you would get a, you bet on the Raiders and it would say plus 14. So the point spread is 14. So the casino ends up not caring which team wins because they take a percentage off the top called, well, I call it the VIG. I don't know what the official word is for it, but they take, let's just say 10% of every bet for their profit. So if there's been a a $100 million bet on the Super Bowl, the casino keeps $10 million, but by utilizing the point spread, they've made sure that all of the 49ers and Raider bets are equal in dollar amount so that they don't lose money on the fact that one team won and one team lost. That's how the point spread works, and I found that interesting when I first started doing I do a little bit of football betting, not very much. I I have a problem with losing money to a casino. It's, it just seems like such a waste. If you are interested in gambling, I can tell you that if you can find, I don't know if Indian casinos have dice games yet. I For a while they didn't, but they might now. I will tell you that if you do want to learn the one game that has a virtual, virtual even odds with the house, it's 0.4% against you. Uh, That's 0.4, not 4. 0.4% against you. It's the game called craps that uses dice. And if you learn how to play that game correctly, the house in the long run only has a 0.4% odds against you. In other words, if you played a million games, you doing it the right way and the, the dice were fair and the table was level and all that junk, uh, if you bet a hundred dollars over all those years, you'd only lose 40 cents. That's the best odds in the casino. And since it's such good odds, the Indian casinos didn't even have crap table dice. I believe they may now. I think I saw some when I stopped. I saw a music show a few weeks back at the hard rock fire mountain down in Wheatland. And I believe I saw dice being thrown. So I think that may have been legalized for the new Indian, uh, 
American Indian, uh, Native American casinos. There, there, I got it right. I also told you I would discuss the way the state is taking over some federal work. Normally, in most of the time, there's always been some differences between state deductions and tax saving deductions and federal ones. But they've never been as big as they became in the last few years with the Tax and Jobs Acts of 2018 and especially the CARES Act during 2020 that gave huge tax breaks that just were never existed before. I won't go into detail right now. The state of California did not conform. That's the word I was trying to think of. California did not conform to a major amount of these tax act things that occurred from eighteen to, from 2018 to 2020. So they didn't conform. In the old days, even though there were some federal versus state differences, the federal, the state of California, and I may be wrong, but generally they did not really audit your tax return. The IRS would select your return for an audit, and then the state would get a notice after the audit's complete, and then they would bill you based on what the IRS found. I call it piggybacking. They would, they didn't really have their own auditors. In, in, in 40 years of doing taxes in California, I never saw an income tax audit strictly generated by the state. I'm not saying there might not have been some, but they were not common at all. Now that the federal took on these new rules that give these huge business deductions, the state of California did not conform. And for the first time, I'm seeing letters to clients reminding them to double check their returns because we don't conform to federal. Now, of course, me being a preparer of all these returns every year, uh, my program knows it, I know it, and I try never to let a nonconformist thing pop onto my tax return. I try never to make a mistake, obviously, but we definitely don't ever want to make a mistake on California by not knowing what's been conformed and what isn't. Now, the, the income tax program knows most of that, but there are ways to mess it up if you don't know what you're doing. The bottom line is that the state of California now has to actually increase manpower to pick up where the federal is not going to audit that type of return because it's allowed on the federal but it's not allowed on the state. I'm not going to get into the little categories I'm talking about, but they have saved taxpayers, especially business taxpayers, a lot of money. And uh, California did not conform. So I think that's very, very interesting. Moving along, I always like to spread things out. So state of California, then we expand our horizon a little bit and we go out to... How about the whole world economy? In the third segment, I'm going to be talking about something called the BRICS. And if you don't know what that means, I will fill you in a bit. I'm not an expert, but I've been listening and reading and following this for at least eight years because I printed out an article and it was from 2014 
The problem is this article kind of poo-poos the problem of the bricks. And things are very different and changing very quickly now that we're in the 2020s. It's very more of a big, much more of a big deal since 2014. So if you don't know what the bricks are, I'm going to fill you in in the next segment. Again, this is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for spending part of your busy day with me. I'm glad you can. I'll be right back on Business Buzz after this break. As long as they're riding high and they have stuff and they're making the money they think they deserve, you think it's okay. As long as that's going on, you feel okay. But you take some of that away, you lose your job, you don't have what you once had, you had to scale down, you have to be different, and now you are insecure. David Hawking reminds us where true security is this week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. After the Oregon governor issued a vaccination mandate, Christian nursing students at Umpka Community College found their tract in graduation threatened if they refused to be vaccinated. The students were to either get vaccinated, leave the nursing program, or be expelled and blackballed from attending any nursing program in Oregon, along with forfeiting money used on tuition. Well, PGI's Oregon staff attorney, Ray Hackey, wrote a letter to the college threatening a lawsuit, and the school backed down. As a result, the nursing students were able to graduate. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. The only radio station I listen to, I really don't have any desire to listen to anything else. Keeps my thoughts on good things, especially with all the garbage that's out there in the world. The positive attitude that it has. Face it, a lot of things are vying for your time, your mind, and your heart. But we as a radio station have a major role in keeping people's minds focused on the important, eternal things. That's why more people listen than ever, and why more people like you are giving to the station. And for that, we want to say thanks. It's really spiritually filled me when I needed it. Tell your friends about Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Glad you can spend part of your valuable time with me. I try to educate, entertain, elucidate, excite. Hmm. I, I, I don't want to go that far with all this. It's just me talking. I like to talk about business. I like to talk about world business and before the break I promised that we would talk about the BRICS. If you haven't heard of the BRICS, it's spelled B-R-I-C-S and I've got an article that I printed that was actually written in November of 2014. Remember that's eight, that's seven and a half years ago, almost eight years ago. So this is not uh, something new. This has been in the works for a while. 
The title of this is De-Dollarization. Is BRICS a viable alternative to the U.S.-dominated world economic system? So the whole word, the term de-dollarization, when you hear that, it's due to the fact that ever since 1974, the big deal that happened, this is after the the dollar got uh, separated from the gold standard of any sort in 71, in 74 during the oil crisis, basically there was a deal made. If Saudi Arabia, they were the huge giant uh, gas supplier, uh, oil supplier, they made a deal. In return for us protecting Saudi Arabia, they would sell all of their giant billions of barrels of oil in U.S. dollars. That guaranteed big demand for the dollar and it kept the dollar as the world, they call it the world reserve currency. I've talked about that before on Business Buzz. About every hundred years or so, there's a new world reserve currency. We've been, the U.S. dollar has been it for a, probably since World War II. British pound was before that. Uh, I know back in the old days, Portugal was it, then Spain, then Netherlands, then France. But right now, the U.S. has been for a while. Here's the problem. BRICS, the original BRICS, and I'm, I'm trying to get this right. I'm, I'm not an expert, but it means Brazil. What the heck is the R? Oh, it's Russia. I'm sorry. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Now, first of all, when I think of South Africa and Brazil, one of the main things I think of is resources. And Russia, of course, as we found out during this Ukraine problem, Russia is like the most giant resource-rich place in the world. China is too, except the stuff they want to keep never leaves the border. They mine a lot of gold, but they never let it leave their country. It stays in China. But anyway, so the BRICS is just a, a, an alliance of these countries that is agreeing to do business without using the U.S. dollar. And the real problem is recently other countries are joining the BRICS. And one of them that's, I believe, either joining or talking about joining is Saudi Arabia. Do you see where I'm headed with this? The whole reason the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency is because Saudi Arabia has been allowing oil to be traded in dollars for f- almost 50 years. That is all about to change. And what happens is when you see the dollar rising, if you hear reports and news stories about the dollar uh, at its 20-something year high, it's rising, but it's measured against other paper currencies. And as if you've listened to Business Buzz at all, you know that the average lifespan of a paper currency throughout history is 27 years. And they always go to zero. They never go up. They always go down. The reason the dollar is is high is because the other currencies are tanking. In fact, the euro dropped down to $1 per euro 
just recently, and for forever it was a dollar twenty or a dollar thirty, uh, almost forever. I don't know if it might have started around one dollar, but it grew. It, it took a, it beat the dollar most of the years it's been around. It's only been around since like the year it, I think nineteen ninety nine was the beginning of the European Union, where all those countries gave away their. Uh, I'm going to talk about that too in a little bit, but. All the countries gave away their sovereignty to join this European Union. Well, now it looks like the European Union idea is not really panning out. But the euro is declining, so it makes it look like the dollar is strong. The problem is these countries that are so resource-rich, if they trade amongst themselves, the, the countries that are all involved in the BRICS deal, I believe they make up about 70% of the world population. So this is no small, this is no small industry trading group. This is gigantic, and the dollar, along with being uh, inflated because of too much money printing that I've I've gone on about. You know me. I've gone on about that for weeks and weeks. The dollar is not strong. It's just strong relative to the other currencies. You can tell the dollar's not strong because when you think gas is high priced, it's not that the price of gas went up, it's that the purchasing power of the dollars in your wallet went down. That's the problem. I've got so many topics, I can't even remember the ones I was gonna talk about. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of note taking while I'm on the air here. Uh, it's just the way I, the way I roll as they say. The problem is we are probably in a heap of trouble when it comes to inflation because the dollar with less demand, there won't be demand for the dollar, which means the price will go down, the value will go down. And the problem is in order for our treasury and the Fed in order for us to bring up demand to buy our treasury bonds, we have to increase the interest rate to make the demand, to make people want to buy them. And like we've talked about before, when interest rates go up, that causes a lot of trouble. It causes trouble for the mortgage housing market, causes trouble for the household budget of consumers, in addition to the high prices, now they're going to be paying high interest. Uh, even if someone has a lot of cash in the bank, the bank doesn't pay much interest. A guy who used to have a million dollars, if it was 9% interest, he'd be making 90000 a year just off of his million sitting in the bank. Well, now with 1% interest, he's making $10,000 for his million. And obviously you can't live on 10000 the whole thing is upside down and they're stuck. They can't fix it. And this BRICS thing is really going to hurt. I hope I'm wrong, of course, but I always look back to that song by the Eagles called Victim of Love. It says, I could be wrong, but I'm not. I may be wrong about the timing of things, but I know I'm right in what's going to happen. All paper currencies go to zero and you need to protect yourself with a hedge, remember we talked about hedges, 
need to hedge your bets on that dollar with uh, something that is always a store of value and doesn't have a counterparty to shaft you when the rubber hits the road, and that would be gold and silver. But I won't beat a dead horse on that too much longer. I'm Harold Littlejohn. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. What's your starting point? This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's Word and the Gospel. This week we're studying the Ask Method for discerning truth from error. Yesterday we looked at the letter A. Does the person making the claim have authority to do so? Today we're looking at the S in Ask, starting points. You see, there's ultimately only two starting points for our thinking, God's Word or man's Word. So we need to discern whether a claim reflects God's wisdom or the world's. It's popular to think that facts speak for themselves, but they don't. They must be interpreted. And that's why your starting point matters so much. That starting point will determine whether someone uses the Bible or human reason to interpret evidence. Get answers to your questions about science and the Bible when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Find resources to equip the entire family to think biblically at AnswersRadio.com. Business owners and entrepreneurs, would you like to have $50,000 in corporate credit? How about getting your credit score over 750? For over 40 years, Ray Reynolds has helped customers get millions in credit. By using corporate credit, you can finance a business, buy real estate and stock under a corporation. Take advantage of numerous tax write-offs only available to a corporation. Go to RaysWebinar.com now to book a free webinar and get over 50K in corporate credit and get your credit score up to 750. When you attend, ask Ray about the $1,000 cash credit within days. Go to RaysWebinar.com. That's RaysWebinar.com. A veteran's hope. Where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Welcome me home. Alone we stood. Divided we fell. No longer. Now we choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. One nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Fellow Americans united, we can grow strong to protect the blessings of liberty for ourselves, our children, grandchildren, and their children. Let us read and understand the life, freedom, and property protecting principles of the Constitution and embrace the godly wisdom our founding fathers instilled in our one nation under God. America, bless God. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. So glad you're able to spend some time with me. I know it's not easy to find a spare hour in a day sometimes, but I have to because I've become the host of Business Buzz for about the last four years and I really enjoy it. But business these days, I mean, you know, local business, my business, that stuff's fine. 
hard work, always busy, lots of people moving to Chico. I was talking earlier about the construction business before I got into the hedge thing, but I'm just amazed how many new apartment buildings are going up in Chico. And I always wonder where are all the jobs? I I try to keep up with news and things, but I have a feeling there's quite a few people who have moved from locations with a lot higher cost of living and they just want a place if they're able to work remotely. That's one of the big deals lately. You know, if you have a guy making 100000 a year working for Facebook or something, if he if they allow him to work remotely, he can come up to Chico and maybe spend, I don't know what they are now, 1500 on a nice apartment instead of 4000 in the Bay Area, something like that. So I can see where our area is probably going to grow like crazy just on the fact that it's still so much less expensive than the high-end areas and this working from home is crazy. It's just so, so available for people. It's it's a great thing, but then it's not a great thing. It's going to change things, but, you know, things change. Well, how's that for a, how's that for a deep, a deep thinking philosophy? So I was talking about the bricks and the dollar and the fact that inflation and all that. So I did want to say one more thing in that that in that regard, and it relates to the article I'm going to talk about in a couple minutes. Think about this. When a country is on a gold standard, and all that means is that if you're on a gold standard, your currency is backed by gold, and there's a limit to the number of dollars you can print based on how much gold you have. Now, the dilemma facing the United States is, number one, we probably have zero gold. Our treasury probably owns zero. Uh, Fort Knox hasn't been audited since the 50s. If they do have gold bars in there, number one, they may be tungsten that are plated in gold. I've read a big story about the Clinton years where the gold was switched. I, I don't have proof of that, but I did read about it. Hey, I read it on the internet. It must be true, right? That doesn't mean it's false, though. So number one, you have the situation where, okay, they show you a picture of a wall of gold bars like when Queen Elizabeth goes downtown London. Number one, are they gold? Number two, who owns them? Every, If we do have gold bars in our treasury, they've probably been leased and loaned out a hundred times to a hundred different people. So the same gold bar has a hundred owners. It's like musical chairs. When the music stops, if you don't find a chair, you're out. And here in this case, when the music stops, people are going to want their gold from somewhere and it's not going to be there. That's the problem. So my main point on this is that the gold standard helps people like us, but it hurts governments. Can you see now why we don't have a gold standard? The gold standard would keep would it would rein in the government from printing too much money. The problem we have is that the government has printed too much money. And every country in the world the government has printed too much money. Zimbabwe did it, uh, Venezuela, all these countries where you hear about the 200% inflation and the crazy hyperinflation. 
It's because of money printing. And the only way to stop money printing is to have some sort of standard where the gold limits how much they can print. That is not the case. They've been suppressing the price of gold and silver for probably a hundred and something years because that's the canary in the coal mine. And if the real value and price of gold were allowed to rise to where it should be, everybody in town would be removing their money from the bank and buying gold. And that's what they don't want to see happen, at least not yet. I have a feeling they do want to see it happen when the time's right for them. And I'm not going to get into who them is, but uh, it's, it's not, put it this way, it's not people you'd want to bring home and introduce to your mother. It's them. And uh, them do not like us. They really don't. My point is, is that if you have a gold standard, you're helping the people. If you don't have a gold standard, you're hurting the people and you're having, you're helping the government. Related to that, I wanted to bring up this article. I was surprised I found a pretty good article and the publisher of it was the Huff Post, which I never read. I, I make it a point to avoid that, but Honestly, this is a pretty good article considering it's from them, but it's back in 2011, updated in 2012. So it's, it's a 10-year-old article, so that's probably why it's a decent article. But the bottom line, I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Uh, since the global financial crisis began in 2007, Chairman Bernanke, who is who was the former uh, head of the Federal Reserve, has striven to save Wall Street's biggest banks while concealing his actions from Congress by a brick, thick veil of secrecy. It literally took an act of Congress plus a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit by Bloomberg to get him to finally release much of the information surrounding the Fed's actions. Since that release, there have been several reports that tallied up the Fed's largesse. Most recently, Bloomberg provided an in-depth analysis of Fed lending to the biggest banks, reporting a sum of $7.77 trillion. On December 8th, Bernanke struck back with a highly misleading and factually incorrect memo countering Bloomberg's report. Bloomberg has largely vindicated its analysis. So that was just the opening of this article. I want to get down a little further into it. It starts talking about all the different ways to calculate how much the Fed bailed out all the banks back in 07, 08, and 09. It said, second, there are at least three different ways to measure the Fed's bailout. And then they go into some rigmarole. I don't have time to get into everything. But here's where it gets good says, and that is precisely what Nicole Matthews and James Felkerson have done. They are Ph.D. students at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, working on a Ford Foundation grant under my direction, titled A Research and Policy Dialogue Project on Improving Governance of the Government Safety Net in Financial Crisis. To my knowledge, it's the most complete and accurate accounting of the Fed's bailout. Their results will be reported in a series of working papers at the Levy Economics Institute. The first one is titled, $29 trillion. 
a detailed look at the Fed's bailout by funding facility and recipient. Here's the shocker. The Fed's bailout was not $1.2 trillion, $7.77 trillion, $16 trillion, or even $24 trillion. It was $29 trillion. That is, of course, the cumulative total. So think about that. If I lose my job or I get in a I get in an accident, I can't work. What do they bail me out with? Well, they'd bail me out with probably sixteen hundred a month of disability income. Um, I would pay my deductible. I'd get some health care. Can you imagine the fact that our national debt is thirty trillion and we had twenty nine trillion bailing out? crooked, dishonest banks 15 or 14 years ago? I mean, can you, can you even fathom how bad this is? And it's not getting any better. That's the problem. It's just this graft and theft and corruption just, it never ends. It just goes on and on and on. I just know, uh, I saw the other day, I, I don't, I'm hardly even watching the news lately. I'm, I'm getting, well, I'm super busy catching up my crazy tax season, but I'm almost stopping to listen to and read the news. I'm at least going to take a hiatus. It's too depressing. Every day there's someone wants another $40 trillion for this, $20 trillion for that. It's always sent overseas, so you can't track it. You don't know who's really getting the money as a kickback. Uh, you don't know whose family's getting the money. It's just awful. And our entire country that's the richest, smartest, most hardworking country in history, pioneers and the whole bit, were bankrupt. And in my opinion, it's just because we've allowed, called infiltration from within, we've allowed our country to be infiltrated with people who don't care about the American citizens. They just care about themselves and lining their pockets. And it's usually involved with foreign governments helping them do that. I won't get too political here on Business Buzz, but this is business related. We're in a heap of trouble. If interest rates rise to the historical norm of 5%, that means that $30 trillion will cost $1.5 trillion per year just for the interest. That's not, a, that's not a laughing matter, and it is serious. Just my opinion. No, nothing, new, nothing new on Business Buzz this week, is there? It's pretty much a, it's almost like a redo of all the things I talk about every time. We're a debtor nation, We've allowed the criminals to steal everything for at least, well, I'd probably say 109 years because I think the Federal Reserve and the income tax were the, their, that, was their, that was their crown jewels, but it was our downfall, and that's been over 100 years now. Now, the rigging of the silver price, I believe, has been going on for about 150 years, and that's another nail in our coffin but you can protect yourself. One guy that I listen to on YouTube, his name's Greg Manorino. He's pretty cool. He says, be your own central bank, which just means 
get yourself some hard assets that don't have counterparty risk, which I've talked about before on Business Buzz. Get yourself some hard assets that don't have counterparty risk and be your own central bank. That's, that's pretty good advice. It's just shocking that it took a Freedom of Information Act and an act of Congress to finally get the head of the guy who prints all the money to tell us where the money went four years or three years prior to that announcement. Like I say, that article was written like in 2011. Pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing how lackadaisical the average person has become if they're not at least talking about this or thinking about it or telling their relatives about it at Thanksgiving. Uh, Of course, I can't speak to that because my family is pretty much sick of hearing me talk about this stuff, so I don't talk about it at home. Maybe that's why I like to talk about it on Business Buzz so much. I can't talk about it at home. They said, they tell me, we know you're right, but we don't want to hear it. I'm like, okay, then I'll just talk about it on Business Buzz. They want to hear it. You want to hear it. Am I right? Please tell me I'm right. And the Course in Miracles says, would you rather be right or happy? I have to think twice every time I think of that saying, but I like that saying. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Have a great rest of your afternoon, and please listen in every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Thanks. Self-fulfillment is not achieved through self-fulfillment. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with the Crown Money Minute. All of us want to live a fulfilling life and seek to achieve that in numerous ways. Some strive for fame, fortune, political power, or peace and quiet, but fall short of true fulfillment. Albert Schweitzer, the famous doctor, said, Do something for someone every day for which you do not get paid. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that our fulfillment comes when we're prepared for works of service. That's how we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So today, thank God for all those you're called upon to serve. They're giving you the privilege of being filled to the full measure of Christ. To set new financial priorities, take our 30-day money reset challenge at crown.org. That's crown.org. Now, the Business Edge Minute. Here's Mitch Graff. Snakes? They're fine. Flying? No problem. Deep water? Piece of cake. Public speaking? Yikes! Just thinking about speaking in front of other humans can make people's palms sweat and keep them up all night. Here's a few ideas on how you can control some of that stage fright. Number one, practice and prepare. All people feel some physical reactions like pounding hearts, trembling hands, and a sweating forehead. But the way to keep those feelings at bay is to practice, 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 so you're ready to give your best performance. Number two, use humor and tell stories. People love to smile and laugh. So make sure you weave some of both into your presentation. Number three, let your personality come through. Be your 
yourself and don't become just a talking head. You will establish better credibility if your personality shines through and your audience will trust what you have to say if they see that you're a real person. And number four, have some fun with it. If you're enjoying yourself, chances are so will your audience. At BusinessEdgeMinute.com, I'm Mitch Graff. You've heard it said before that the best lessons learned are from the School of Hard Knocks. Well, now you can give the gift of a Ph.D. from this prestigious university. This authentic diploma is printed on the same high-quality paper that the top schools in the world use for their diplomas and will become the center of conversation for sure. Visit schoolofhardknocks.net. That's schoolofhardknocks.net, and you'll receive a special discount of 20% at checkout when you enter the code EDGE. Get one for that person in your life who seems to have everything, or heck, get one for yourself. You've earned it.